wonderful, what a wonderful morning of worship already. If you would turn in your Bibles first to Psalm 119, we're going to be reading the first eight verses of that wonderful chapter, and then stick your finger there and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, as we uh, you look briefly at both of those passages this morning. I say briefly because 119 is the longest chapter in Scripture, and if I were to have you stand and read that whole thing, I'm pretty sure some of us would pass out. Um, but it is a wonderful, wonderful passage of, of Scripture that looks at, and we're going to talk about this more here in a minute, but it looks at the Word. It's interesting that the longest passage, the longest chapter that we have in the Psalms and all of Scripture talks about the Word of God and pro proclaims and declares its goodness and its value and its overwhelming worth to us. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at what does it mean to worship through the Word as we continue on with our sermon series about worship, the, the one and the only, the true God who has drawn us near. And so if you would, please stand with me. I know some of you are still looking for Timothy, but if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Again, Psalm 119, starting in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having, fixed, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And then turning over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul speaks to his son in the faith. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we are thankful. Lord, we're thankful to come in to this place and to be with our church family. To be with these, these people that you have called to yourself and have adopted by the blood of the Son, the most holy God who you now encourage for us to come to you and say, Abba, Father, to come into your presence together, not out of fear nor out of obligation, but out of desire for you. Father, I pray that as we go through this time together, that we would continue in a spirit of worship as we hear you speak to us. Lord, may your word change our hearts. May your word resonate in our spirits. May we celebrate that which you have given us. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. These last several weeks that we have been together over the summer, 
we have been looking at worship, as we have already talked about. And the very first week, the last week of May, we looked at the question of what is worship. And we gave it kind of a working definition for us to use as we went through this whole sermon series. And that definition that we gave was that worship is placing supreme value on God. And that's pretty significant. When we think about the fact that as we read through Scripture, we we very much see that we were created to worship. And that as believers in particular, we are called to worship. And if that is the case, then we need to rightly understand what worship is. And so if we think about worship in terms of placing supreme value on God, and we understand that we are to do that throughout our life, not just on a, on a particular morning of, a, of the week, but throughout our days, then we, we begin to ask a whole lot of questions about this thing called worship, about this thing that we are to do that places supreme value on God. We begin to ask questions that we've already talked about in the last few weeks about what, what is worship? Who do we worship? Why do we worship? Where do we worship? With whom do we worship? And as we've looked at those questions, we've, we've of course, understood that we are to worship the one true God, the creator of all the universe, of all that we see, all that we don't see, Scripture tells us, that we are to worship him in light of his holiness, of his difference, of who he is and and how he's set apart and, and far above anything that we could understand, that we worship him because of all that he has done and accomplished and all that, that we have experienced in our own lives And then as we've looked at the where and the when and the with whom, what we've seen is worship is both an individual thing that we accomplish, but it's also something that we're designed to do together, that we're called to do together. That because of our the the Holy Spirit now dwelling in us, we can worship anywhere at any time with whoever happens to be there. But that we are designed, that we are instructed to also make sure that we are setting apart time in our week to come together. And we traditionally as believers, as Christians, have done that on a Sunday morning, on the Lord's Day, that we're to come together as a church family and worship together. Hebrews tells us, and we've used this a lot over the last several weeks, but we are not to forsake the gathering together of others, of the believers, as some do. In other words, if You, if an individual comes and says, I can worship anywhere, that statement is true. But if they take it so far as to say, I don't ever have to go to church, I never have to worship with other believers, that is at maybe best disobedience. That we are designed, we are called, we should have a desire to worship with fellow believers at a regular time, in a regular pattern. But as we have answered those questions, we've now come to the question that we will spend the next several weeks on, and that is how. How are we to worship? If we understand all of the other questions about worship and we give this definition that we are to place supreme value on God, then the question that we end with is how do we do that? Now, there's kind of two ways to answer this question. We could go down the path of our demeanor, our attitudes, our posture in both heart and body when we come into worship. But what we're going to spend the majority of our time on the next several weeks is not that in that sense of how, but it's the practicality. It's the tangible part of how do we worship. 
So we're going to talk about things like how do we worship through the word, which we're doing today? How do we worship through singing? Why do we sing when we worship? We're going to talk about creativity. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about service. We're going to talk about how do we worship in silence? All of these things are important ways, and certainly that is not a a limited, that is not an exhaustive list of ways that we can worship, but all of these things are ways, they're means by which we can show God and others that he has supreme value in our life. And so that's where we're headed over the next several weeks, and I hope that you will make every effort to join us because I'm, I'm excited to talk about these different things because, in part, we're all commanded to worship, Right? And we're all commanded to, to do all of these things. All of us have a command on our life to worship through the word and through, through singing and through generosity and through all of these other things. But we're all geared slightly different that probably one or maybe two of those really resonates with you. Maybe one or two of those really resonates, and that's how you worship. And so I'm excited to, to go through these things and, and to find those things. And maybe for some of you, you'd be like, yeah, that's, that's me. And maybe these other areas I need to grow in and these other areas I need to improve, but man, that's how I worship. And that you find kind of your niche and say, this is how I show him supreme value and how I show others that he is my supreme treasure. This morning, though, as I said, we are looking, as you've probably caught on, we're looking at how we worship through the Word. In order to do that a little better, I want to start by just talking a little bit about what the Word is. His Word is a gift. It's a gift. I told you already that Psalm 119 as a whole, as you read through that beautiful poem, that it's all about God's Word. What, what the writer does there is he takes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and he does a poem on that, on that letter where every line of the poem starts with that letter. And he goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet. That's why this chapter is so long. And the amazing thing is that the entire poem, pretty well, is focused on his word, and it talks about what an incredible gift that we have been given that God, the creator of all things, the ruler of the entire universe, the most powerful being in all of existence, the one who has done all of these mighty works that we read about, all of these mighty things that we see and observe in creation around us, how he has chosen to give us his word that he has chosen to communicate with us. Every once in a while, I'll be watching a television show or, or meeting someone, and, and you see them talk about how this one time they got a letter from the president. Now, you, it's probably auto pin at the bottom, but they frame the letter and they put it up on the wall, and that's like their most valued possession. Or this one time they, were, they met someone that was important, and, and I think to myself, I've, I've got a $5 bill at my my house, and this is probably a story that now that I'm into it, I probably shouldn't tell, but $5 bill at my house, and it is signed by the entire Missouri Tiger basketball team from 1992-93. 
It was they were actually good then. They were actually ranked. And, and, uh, and the whole team signed this $5 bill because the location they were at, this was the only piece of paper they had. So they all signed the $5 bill. And I have this $5 bill. And I can remember as a child getting this. And man, it's laminated now. And it's like in a special drawer where I hopefully will never lose it. Because somebody important to me took the time to write their name down. And, and we, we have these things. Maybe for you, it's a, a grandparent or it, maybe it's letters from, from your spouse when you guys were dating or whatever it may be. And there's this collection of letters, of words, and it's a gift that you've been given that they desire to communicate to you. And so God's word is no less than that. It's this amazing gift. And it, it's not just a gift, but it's precious. Psalm 119, 127 says, Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, even the purest gold. Do you think about your Bible that way? Do you think about the words that are in this, this book that way, that they are the most precious thing that you've ever been given? You see, things are precious. Gifts are precious, not, not just based on their monetary value. Gifts are precious the deepest, most meaningful gifts, the gifts that we value the most are that because of who gave them to us and maybe the event that they're tied to. I wear two of the most precious gifts that I own, I wear almost every day. One of them is this watch. My grandmother and my great-grandmother gave me this watch as a memento of when I was hired at HLG to become a professor of English and a, the director of international studies. My great-grandmother said, if you're going to have an adult job, you need an adult watch, okay? And it's a precious thing to me. In fact, this is one of the few things. This did not go to Madagascar because I was afraid to get lost or get stolen. Maybe the most precious gift that I wear every day, though, is my wedding ring that she gave me on our wedding day as a token of our love for one another, of our commitment to one another. And I wear it every day unless I'm laying carpet with glue, and then I take it off, okay? But it's precious. It's not precious because of its monetary value. It's not the most expensive ring you could have bought. It's not, not heavy. It's not solid in many ways, but, but it's because of who gave it to me. It's because of the timing of it, because of the, what it represents. How much more have we been given a gift by the creator of the entire universe, but moreover, by the lover of our souls, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows every hair that you have on your head and every hair for some of us that we've lost off of our head, the one that has, knows how tall we have grown, how fast we got there, the one that knows all the experiences that we have had, all the experiences that we are having, and all that we will have, the one who has written the story of our life before time was created, the one that died for us, who shed his own blood. We have been given a precious gift, not of great monetary value, but we have been given a precious gift by the greatest one of all to commemorate that he desires us. It's an incredible gift. It's a precious gift, and it's also an active gift. 
It's an active gift. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is not some stingy book that we put on the shelf and collect dust. It's not some book out of context. The Bible The words of God are still alive and well. They still speak into the human experience the way that nothing else does. They still provide guidance better than any self-help book you've ever read. They still provide comfort and peace better than any other words of encouragement you've ever read. They still give hope and desire and dreams better than any inspirational art that you've ever seen. It is active It is guiding. Scripture says that it is a light to our feet. It has not run out of juice. It has not run out of power. It has not run its course. This precious gift that we've been given is active and alive. And if you will allow it, it will change your life. It will change your desires It will change your longings, your dreams, your hopes, all for the better. It will take away guilt and fear. It will make those that struggle with self-confidence to find solid ground. It will change everything. It's It's a gift, it's precious, it's active, and it is a road map. It's a road map. We could apply this to lots of different ways. Scripture is a roadmap of how to even come to God. How do we even have a relationship with him? It's a roadmap to how we're to live life. To how, how are we to go about having relationships with other people, whether that's in marriage relationships or with our kids or with friends or with our church family. It's an instruction manual in that way. But it's also a roadmap to worship. It's a roadmap to worship. In the early days of you dating your spouse, especially for guys, I feel like, girls seem to just know these things better than us. I I don't understand. But in the early days of, of your relationship, one of the ways that we desire to show the other person that we care about them, that they're valuable to us, is we buy them things. We buy them things and we, and as a guy, or maybe this is just my experience, that's incredibly awkward because I don't know what this person likes. Like, okay, we're going to fall on the old standby of buying them jewelry. Great. Do they like gold, silver or do they like gold? Do they like white gold? Do they like rose gold? Do they like diamonds? Do they like emeralds? Do they like rubies? I don't know. I don't know this person. And so we hope for the best. And if that doesn't work, then we go with flowers. But then you got to worry about, are they allergic to flowers? Do they like roses? Do they like sunflowers? I don't know. We take them out to eat. Let's go to this wonderful seafood place. Oh, by the way, I'm allergic to crustaceans. Great, fantastic. But it gets easier, right? We hope it gets easier as we listen. 
we, we learn and we think, oh, well, okay, this is their favorite thing. This is the things they enjoy. And so it becomes easier to show them appreciation and love because we begin to get to know them better. And so it's easier for us to find things that we know they're going to enjoy, that they're going to appreciate. God does the same thing. He says, you want to come to me? You want to have a relationship with me? You want to show me value? Here's how. Here's how. He gives us a roadmap to worship. He gives us a roadmap to worship. He says, these are the terms that you come to me with. These are the things that I'm going to love and enjoy. And these are the ways that you communicate with me that I am precious. That brings us to Psalm, back to Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, we show the worth of God when we do several things. Reading again verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 4, it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. How do we show God that he is valuable to us? How do we come to him on his terms? And how do we worship through the word? First, we must obey. We must obey. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, has the, Lord a, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. Samuel says that, by the way, to a king named Saul. Saul had been commanded to do a certain thing. He'd been commanded to go to this village and because of their wickedness, God was sending judgment on it, and God said, wipe it all out. <clears throat> Do away with all of it. Samuel meets Saul on Saul's return journey after the battle, and he's, Saul is so proud of what he's done and what he's accomplished, and Samuel says to him, wait a minute, what is this bleeding I hear in the background? What are, those, what are the sounds of cows, the mooing? Like, what, what's going on? Why, why do I hear this stuff? And Saul says, well, I, I saved all the best animals. And Samuel looks at him and is like, you did what? And Saul's like, well, I, I'm, I'm bringing them back so that we can sacrifice them at the temple. And Samuel's like, sorry, Saul says, we're going to bring them back. Samuel's like, that's not what you were told to do. And that's when he quotes this. He says, what's better, obedience or sacrifices? Again, we've said this from week one when we looked at this. If we want to show the supreme value of God, then we have to do it on his terms, not our own. I was watching a, a show the other day that I hadn't watched in a long time. Some of you may remember Tool Time from back in the 90s. And the episode that I was watching was Tim giving his wife gifts for her birthday. And she began to list all of the tools that she had he had given her, like, do you remember the saber saw I got that one year? Yeah, that was fantastic, okay? Next year, I'm pretty sure it was a miter box, okay? And she begins to talk about all these things. 
And what you begin to real, and what you realize as you're watching it, it's humorous and it's funny, but it's that this man was giving his wife's gifts not based on what she desired to make her feel special, but on the things that he liked. He was trying to speak to her with his language, not hers. And what it what it ended up was not her feeling special and cared for, but the exact opposite. It made her feel unattended to, not listened to, not cared about. The same way with with God, if we desire to show him great worth, if we desire to talk about how good he is and what he's done for us, and we desire to, to worship him, then we have to obey him. We have to do things on his terms. We have to listen and then accomplish, not just let it go out one ear and in one ear and out the other. The second thing we must do is focus. When we worship God, we must obey, but we also must focus. It says in verse 5, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping with your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. What? Having fixed my eyes on all your commandments. Fixed my eyes on your commandments. You know, it's one thing when Rosemary comes into the room and she grabs my hand and she begins to pull on it. She says, Daddy, come play with me. Come play with me. And if I will do that, she, she loves that. She loves it when she can come in and she kind of feels like she's the boss and, and she, we go off and we play her little games and we do whatever. That's enjoyable for her. But you know what I find is even more enjoyable for her? What lights her face up even more is when I come into the room and I say, hey, do you want to play? You want to have fun? You want to go? You want to go on a trip? Hey, I want to spend time with you. Not that you want to spend time with me, which is good. Not that you have come and requested something from me, though that's, that's good. But I am seeking you out, and I want to spend time with you, and I want to do things that you want to do. Her face lights up, and she's like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds fantastic. How much then, the same is true with, with God, how much then... Is it better for us, not just for God to tell us, hey, I want you to do this. Hey, let's do this together. And then hopefully we agree to that. How much better is it that if we would come to God, if we would focus on his commandments and say, I want to do that with you. I want to do that with you. God, you want to do that? Then let's go do that. Like I, we, we've studied his word. We've learned it. We've, we've embraced it. And honestly, for many of us, we, we've got the knowledge of the word running out our ears at this point. But to look, take all of it and to value it and to value him to the point that we're like, I know this is what you want. Let's go do it without him asking. We focus on him, not just once a week, not just at a specific time, but to take this precious gift that we've been given and every morning to pick it up and to go, what's new today? What are we going to do today? We obey it, we focus on it, and we celebrate it. We celebrate it. Look at the end of what we were talking about. It says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You go through the entire letter here, 
And you see this celebration over and over again. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is with me forevermore. And you go on and on. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Over and over throughout all of this this passage and throughout all the word, what we find is this individual who is writing these things They are overcome with the word, and it's not just that they're listening. It's not just that they're focused upon it. It's that they are celebrating it. When is the last time that you read a passage and you immediately went into prayer and was like, man, I love this book. Man, this is is good stuff. I want more of it. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that's not every day. There are times that you read through Leviticus and you're like, huh? Okay. That's going to happen. But man, we should have a desire that as we read his commands, as we read what he has done, as we read about who we are, and as we read about these incredible promises of eternal life and a new creation and all of these wonderful gifts that are are awaiting us that the Lord is preparing for us, that we don't just go, wow, how cool is that? I want to show you a picture of this. Turn with me to Nehemiah. Turn with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. For most of us, if you've been around church very much, you hear the word Nehemiah, and what probably comes to your mind is the rebuilding of the wall. You see, there's a, a period in the history of the Jews, of the Israelites, God's people, where they have disobeyed him and they're pushed into exile in Babylon and Assyria. And then after several decades, God begins to bring them back. He changes the hearts of some kings and he begins to bring those people back and they begin to establish themselves in the promised land again. And for most of us, we, we, we remember the story of them rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, what was thought to be an impossible task. What, it faced an incredible amount of barriers. It faced an incredible amount of opposition from their enemies. And it took all of them working together, shoulder by shoulder, family by family, to accomplish this thing in an amazing way. But what we oftentimes, unfortunately, we kind of stop reading Nehemiah after that. But we see something pretty incredible in Nehemiah chapter 8. The building is done. The work is finished. It says in chapter 8, starting in verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early in morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, stood, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood several gentlemen on the right and several gentlemen on the left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
And all of, the, all of these priests and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people could understand the reading. When you look at that picture, you see obedience and focus and celebration. These folks didn't, didn't wait for Ezra the priest, for the pastor to stand up and say, okay, you need, to, you need to read this. You need to know this. No, they were like, hey, you bring it to us. Hey, go get the book. Go get the law. We want to hear it. We want to hear the words of God. They are a precious thing to us. They are a gift to us. Go get it and read it for us. You see the focus, the desire there. You see the obedience they hear the word of God and they are struck to the core. You hear them saying amen and amen. It's an agreement. It's a, a, a ratification of, of what is being spoken. And they are, they are there. They're listening attentively. It says that they do so from the, the early morning to the midday. So anywhere between five and seven hours, they listen to the word, standing, hanging on every word as other Levites and priests and teachers go around and say, okay, do you understand what he means by this? Do you understand what's going on? And they're, they're listening to these things, standing to the word because they value it, because they're focused on it, because they want to obey it. It's an incredible thing. It should reflect on us as well, right? Like I stand at a concert for very long and I'm like, where is my chair? Right? Like I love this guy and there's a reason I bought this ticket, but good golly, didn't a seat come with it? In the same way, friend, but, but here they're like, no, 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 that's, that's what we want. We're going to stand as long as you want to be here, buddy. Because this is where our this is what our supreme value is. This is our treasure. They're focused on it, they celebrate, and they obey it. You see at the end, it says, they bow their heads and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. They worshiped through the word. They worshiped in their response to the word. When they heard who he is, when they heard what he has done, when they heard that he desires to have a relationship with them, when they heard that he has a design and a pattern for their life, they bowed in worship. It changed their lives. And you read the rest of the book and you see that it's not always a straight line. There's times when they disobey. There's times when they, they take a stumble and they, they trip over some things. But this event, this worshiping through the word, changed the entire nation. They began to seek him more. And the word grew in their lives. And it produced fruit. Believer, this morning, do you obey? Do you worship the word through obedience? Are you focused upon it? Do you desire it? Do you celebrate it in your life when it's read? when you take it into your own heart? Believer is, are you, do you show the value and the treasure of who God is by listening and consuming his word 
and then doing it? Are you seeking it out in your life? Or is it something that you take with you on Sundays and then it goes right back on the island, right back on the dining room table that afternoon so that you don't, so you know exactly where it is next Sunday? Oh, that we would fall in love with his word, that we would desire it with everything we have. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're going to have a time of response. We have worshipped today. We've worshipped through music. We've worshipped through prayer. We've worshipped through generosity. We've worshipped through the word. But one of the kids said something, one of the kids said something really good. They said that when you write a letter, the hope is that they will write a letter back. That's the whole point of writing the letter. Brother and sister, this time of response is your opportunity to write a letter back, to respond to him, what he has given you, to let him know what's going on and to ask him to, to intervene. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we, we thank you. Father, as we think through our own lives at what you've done, Father, I'm nobody special. I, I've sinned like everybody else in here. I've done things that I, I really don't want to talk about with anybody. I have guilt. I have shame. I've told you that I can do better. I've told you that, that I don't need you. And yet you have sought me out. Father, you, you gave me your word. And you told me that you loved me. Despite all that I had done, Despite all, the, as far as way as I ran from you, you told me that you loved me and that you wanted me back. And then you showed me through the cross and the resurrection that you would do anything to make that happen. Father, you saved me. And now you continue to speak. <laughs> what an amazing thing that is. And Father, you've done that for everyone in this room. And so we thank you. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you in a relationship, that this morning that they would come to you and just ask. They would ask you to be their Savior, that they would ask you to be their King, and that you would change their lives. Father, I pray for us as believers, for our, my church family, that we would hear your word and that we would desire more of it. Not just to hear it, not just for the sake of knowledge, but that we would desire to do it because it brings you joy. And it brings us blessing. Father, I pray, change our lives too. Lord, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.